0: Okay. Uh pull out your um pull out your notes there and you can turn over to Actually don't turn to Isaiah yet. Close your Bible. Close your Bible. Okay. You have a quiz. Pop quiz. Fill it out. Go. You're looking at me like he's kidding. Right? No, no, no. No, no, no. Look at this. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah okay so just take a moment who wrote the book of isaiah who was the audience what time period does it cover what kings of judah were in power of isaiah's ministry what are the themes okay find out if you're learning anything in here or not okay so take just a minute you guys are still looking at me like is he really serious yeah come on take a stab at it this is easy stuff let's 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 do this okay and then we'll we'll uh you remember in school how we'd grade together remember that we kind of do a little group grading that that's because teachers don't like to grade so they do the group grading thing because it's lot, right teachers am I right so um, so we'll, we'll just we'll grade this together here in a moment okay but take a stab at it Let's say, say that the, the first page of Isaiah answers like four of the five questions there. So uh, my preference would be to see what you've been able to retain in your, your minds. But uh, yeah, I suppose if you've got to look at your notes. Uh... Okay, okay. So who wrote the book of Isaiah? Isaiah. Who's buried at Grant's tomb? No. Uh, uh, um, who, yes. Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah. Now that's not always true. That's not always true. Titus did not write Titus, did he? Okay. So don't just assume the name of the book. So the name of the book usually points to either the author or the audience. In in those cases, but uh, there is not there's not, not a person or a people called Deuteronomy. So it doesn't work for all the books. Um, who who was the audience? the israelites and and what particular group of israelites judah. it was judah okay and and why do we have to distinguish between groups of israelites at this time in history because why yeah there's been a civil war right there's been a civil war and and god's nation has split in part and you have a northern kingdom we typically call that israel sometimes we call it samaria the capital city and then the southern kingdom, we typically call it Judah. Uh, the capital city is Jerusalem. So Isaiah is writing to the southerners. Uh, that's why you have all those, you know, y'alls in Isaiah, right? Because they're southerners. Uh, who was the audience? Judah, right? The southern kingdom of Israel. What time period does it cover? Now this is going a little bit more challenging because you won't find that in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. But Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's the first half of the sixth century, the latter half uh, of the seventh century. That's right. Okay. And uh, so we're we're, what's going to happen in the time period that Isaiah is writing? There's a major world event that's going to happen during Isaiah's writing. And and what event is that? Yes, Assyria. Remember the map. Assyria is this superpower. And they are surrounding this little dot of of land called the nation of Israel. And they're going to take that over. And so during Isaiah's time, the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to take over the northern kingdom. And they're going to kill people and break things, right? And then they're going to take a lot of those Israelites and they're going to take them back to Assyria as their captives. Okay, now... Uh, That's going to happen to the southern kingdom. The Babylonians are going to come in, but that happens after Isaiah's ministry. So Isaiah doesn't see that in his lifetime. What kings of Judah were in power over Isaiah's ministry? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Ahaz. Two more. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. You got it right there, Bill. What does it say? Chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, you're not there? I'm sorry. You had your Bible open. You look so like such a prepared student that <laughs> That's okay. Well, so who's got one one ready to go? Okay. Okay. So we don't have to guess, right? Isaiah is nice enough to say, Oh, by the way, here are the people in power during my ministry. And so we have those kings. Now now why is that important? Because when you read that section in your Bible called first and second Kings You're going to read some names and you're going to go, oh yeah, that was the guy that Isaiah talked to, right? So try to make those connections. Uh, the book of 1st and 2nd Kings provide the historic narrative in Chronicles. 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles parallel each other. Those are the history books behind the prophets, right? So when you're reading the prophets, that's the history behind it. Okay. And then finally, what would you say are the, the themes of Isaiah? The coming judgment, hope because there's a remnant. What's the look, there's really those three right? Judgment is coming, God's going to preserve a, rem, a remnant, and then what's the what's the third one that that makes of Redeemer. uh, the Redeemer's coming? That's right, that's right. The Redeemer, the King is coming, and uh, and he will bring justice, he will bring restoration, and all that. So you guys did good, but you need each other, right? You see, you kind of you needed each other to to do that, so. That's good. That's why. That's why we're at church. Okay. So uh, look. Uh, and, and the reason we're doing the quiz today is we're coming. We're coming to finish the first big section of Isaiah today. This is exciting. There's a big section on the front end, and then there's this little parenthetical historical account, and then there's the second section of the book. And, and we're there. We're, we're at the parenthesis. We're, we're at the. We're at the spine of the book of Isaiah, where it all kind of hinges and connects together. So. Uh, So let's look together. Now, last time we talked about um, how we have to juggle visions, right? Remember this? You you need, for you photographers, you need your short lens and your long lens. You you need your your wide angle lens so you can see, ah, there's a lot going on. And then you need the focused lens, right? Because what Isaiah is going to do is uh, sometimes he's going to talk about a judgment and what he's saying is this is going to happen next year. So get ready. Pay attention, yeah. And then, and then he's going to switch lenses. He's not going to tell you he's doing that. And he's going to be talking about a judgment down the road, this, this final judgment. And he's not talking about Assyrians and, and Israelites. He's talking about all the nations being judged when the king comes, when the king arrives. And, and you'll see this in the prophets, that, that you, you, this, this duality of judgment is coming in part because of what's going on now. But that's not really the judgment you need to be most concerned about. The judgment you need to be concerned about is not Assyrians. Ultimately, it's that you will stand before your creator one day based upon your relationship and allegiance to him. So that's coming. So we have to be able to toggle lenses uh, like that. Now, and we saw this last time because... In our section last time, chapters 27 to 32, we saw judgment both now in Isaiah's day and then final judgment. Remember how he pivoted back and forth and we saw that? And there is hope now, meaning God's going to spare a remnant of his people and restore them, right? And God's not going to annihilate all of his people in the 7th century. Um, he's going he's to keep a remnant, but also... There's going to be hope in the future because the king's going to come to restore all things and unite his people in the new Jerusalem. Uh, and can I just encourage you, that's where history is going. It doesn't matter what your Fox News app says, that's where things are going. Are things bad now? Sure they are. Is there sin in the world? Absolutely. Uh, are you discouraged about that? Yes, just like I am. But God is doing something, isn't he? God has not walked off the stage of history Like our psalm, he has not forgotten his people. Uh, He is working right now to build his church and influence the world for the gospel so that before this day comes of final judgment, men and women have a hope through a relationship with Christ that Isaiah describes as the coming king, right? So that's where history is going. And it's important that when we read a book like Isaiah, of, of Isaiah, we remember that that's where, that's where it fits in what God is doing. Isaiah reminds us that judgment is real, right? That there's a lot that is wrong in the world, and God's not ignorant of that. He, he's not, he's not uh, immune to that. God, God has an opinion on the things that are wrong in the world, and he cares about those things, and he's going to do something about it one day. And because you and I see that same wickedness in our hearts, we need some sort of redeemer, to save us and help us as God moves to restore all creation one day. So that, that's what's going on. So in our final couple of chapters today, what we're going to see is really those same things, but it's going to come to a head. Isaiah is going to put an exclamation point on everything he's been saying just to, to drive the point home. Uh, um, one, of, one of my uh, favorite preachers uh, in the, the old Puritan era uh, used to say that a good preacher takes the truth and he screws it down into your mind. Right? So it's there. And, and, and that's what Isaiah is going to do. He, he's going to rivet the truth even more into our minds so we don't read Isaiah and then go, oh, what's for lunch today? And we've long forgotten what we, what we have read. He doesn't want us to dismiss the message because it's that crucial. So let's look in our final chapters here in, in the section that we're going to look at of the coming king. And final judgment, and uh, oh my, these are some these are some really cool chapters. Okay, so let's look first of all at chapter thirty-two. We 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 looked over this last time, or excuse me, we skipped this last time, overlooked it, and uh, we want to come back here because there's a great picture of the king here. By the way, um, I'm getting mixed reports on the times in class when we have audience participation, uh, where I give you an assignment and you work on it, and some of you are like. We like lectures, we don't want to... And and others are like, give us more time so we can do more of that, that was fun, so we'll try to... Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I can't please everybody, but uh, anyway, but we we will do uh, uh, some more exercises like that and, and hopefully that will help you to learn how to interpret the Bible for yourself and read it for yourself. Okay, so chapter 32, verse 1, are you there? Chapter 32, verse 1, "...behold, a king will reign righteously." and princes will rule justly. Now, right out of the gate, what do we have that's going on here? Which one of the three themes does this relate to? Judgment, remnant, or king? See, that's an easy one, isn't it? See see how it fits in there? That's all you have to do. When you're reading, you go, what am I reading about? Well, which which theme is being emphasized, right? The king is coming, he, he, he will reign righteously. Now, why is Isaiah stressing that his reign will be one of righteousness? All the are not. Yeah, yeah. you remember the landscape of Israel today? God's people, right? What, what, how are they living? Idolatry. Idolatry. Corrupt. corrupt. About Thinking about themselves, manipulating people, that's right. Uh, It is not a just land, is it? And you think about that. um, One of God's titles is holy, right? One of God's titles is a just God. And sometimes we forget that, right? Sometimes we forget that our God is a God of justice and holiness, and he loves what is right, and he hates with a passion, as we'll see here in the next chapter, what is wrong? And and here's the thing, just because he is patient and kind and tolerates a certain level of wickedness because he's giving us time to repent, doesn't mean God is softening his standard, does it? God's not looking the other way and saying, well, I'm not not really as wound up about this sin thing as, as I came across, right? No, he loves righteousness. He hates justice. Or he loves righteousness. He hates what is wrong, injustice. And, and that's why when you and I look at the brokenness of the world and we go, that's not right. You ever do that? And you know what that is? That's the image of God in you talking. It is. It's the image of God in you talking because that's how God feels. That's what God thinks. And God's going to do something about that. He's going to change that. He's going to put an end to injustice. And, and that's why we say, yes, we should feel like that. But we need to be patient because God is doing something. And what he's doing is he's giving people like you and me time to repent before this final judgment, this final act where he stops all this comes to pass. Okay, So the king is coming. He's going to reign righteously. And we say, yes, finally. Finally, someone that will make the land just and righteous. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm. Okay, oh, look at that. I just gave you it all right there. Okay, well, there we go. He's coming. He's going to rule in righteousness. And look at verse 2. He will provide protection. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm And you know this because we've had a couple of of northern wind events in the last week, haven't we? Uh, My dad used to say there's nothing between here and Canada but barbed wire and tumbleweeds, right? And that's true. That's why you get that nice cold wind that comes out of Canada. Um, And... uh, it, it, it takes your breath away uh, sometimes, and what, what the writer is saying here is when God comes to rule in righteousness and, and there 's going to be justice in the land it 's like it 's like jumping in to that warm house when you 've just come out from that freezing blowing northern wind and you have some protection and you can just relax okay I'm warm warm up now he says that 's what it 's going to be like in the land when God rules justly and puts all injustice to rest like streams of water in a dry country like the shade of a huge rock in the parched land so this hope is coming right now look at this verse three then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded and the ears of those who hear will listen the mind of the hasty will discern the truth, and the tongue of the stammerers will be will hasten to speak clearly. No longer will the fool be called noble. You know, you know that's crazy. Because this works today. Look out in the world. Look at how higher education works. Right. Look at how government works. Look at about the the, the secrets. Even at in in professional football of how we win football games and and one more scandal comes out about you know wrongly using videography or something like that and you go and what what happens in our world what god says is foolish the world says is nobility that's being smart right that's being a smart team that's being a smart government official that's how you run a college campus and god says actually that's foolish and what's gonna you know what's gonna happen on this day finally the world will see that what broken fallen people say is right they finally see is actually the most foolish thing to believe and that that those eyes will finally see those ears will finally hear isaiah says and people will come to understand what is actually true now do you long for that like i do i mean don't you want people to see like you and I see with with the help of of Scripture, you go, why do they keep doing this? Well, the day's coming when they will see and they will hear and what is considered noble but is actually foolish, um, the rogue will not be spoken of as generous, right? Because a fool speaks nonsense, verse 6, his heart inclines toward wickedness, the practice... To practice ungodliness and to speak error against the Lord. And what do they do? They take advantage of people, right? To keep the hungry person unsatisfied and to withhold drink from the thirsty. What's that? Those are examples of injustice, right? Remember, they were neglecting the poor. They weren't helping people in need. That's the condemnation that God has leveled on his people. Hungry people are not being helped. Thirsty people aren't being helped. For as a rogue, his weapons are evil. He devises wicked schemes to destroy the afflicted with slander. Even though the needy one speaks what is right. But the noble man devises noble plans. And by noble plans he stands. What's he saying? God is turning the wisdom of the world on its head so that people can see what is really right and is really good. And just as the prophet has been telling the Israelites... About the neglect of the poor, about the abuse of justice, all those things people will finally see. Okay? Now, watch this. Verse 8. Verse 9, excuse me. And ladies, I want you to interpret this, okay? This this is a lady, this is a girl verse. Verse 9. Rise up, you women who are at ease, and hear my voice. Give ear to my word, you complacent daughters. Within a year and a few years, you will be troubled. O oh, complacent daughters, for the vintage is ended and the fruit gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent daughters. Strip and undress and put sackcloth on your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the land of my people in which thorns and briars shall come up. Yea, for all the joyful houses... And for the jubilant city. Why? Because the palace has been abandoned. And the populated city forsaken. Hill and watchtower have become caves forever. A delight for wild donkeys. And pasture for flocks. So ladies, what's he saying there? What's he saying to the girls in Israel? Get ready for hard times. Get ready for hard times. That's right. Why? Why? Because right now all the ladies in Israel are doing what? They're on Pinterest, they're watching their favorite Netflix shows, right? Life is easy. They're shopping on Amazon, you know, and they got their their Starbucks, you know, drink that ends in a vowel, you know, it uh, uh, right? And they're and they're at ease. They're at ease in the comfort of their ungodly lifestyle. And Isaiah says, watch out. Because this day of judgment is coming. This day of rendering is coming. So he brings clarity and discipline. And in our section there, he's warning them, isn't he? Um, What do you notice about these ladies? Why is his judgment coming particularly to them? I mean, it's, it's coming on the whole nation, of course, but why, he singles out the ladies here. What is it that they're doing that they're missing it? They're not taking responsibility for you remember, uh, and this was way back in a previous chapter, remember Isaiah goes, let's talk to the elders. Let's talk to the religious leaders. Let's talk to the men. Let's talk to the women. Remember when he does that? He singles everybody out. And what he's doing, you remember what one of the things the ladies were doing? they were neglecting the care of their own homes. And and Isaiah doesn't point that out particularly here, but what he's saying is they're living at comfort and at ease and the implication is they're choosing ease and comfort over the responsibilities that God has called them to. So he says, look out because things are about to change. Now, again, did you see him pivot? The king is coming. It's going to be great. And then it's like, but judgment's coming first. Look out! Right? And he just—he just changed, didn't he? And he didn't tell us. He didn't warn us. But that's what he's doing. Now, now watch him. He's gonna—he's gonna flip back and listen to this. This is amazing. Uh, then, verse 16: Justice will dwell in the wilderness. Righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of the righteous, quietness and confidence forever. Now I want you to see anybody remember where this verse comes from? Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings in the undisturbed resting places. Where have you seen that verse? How many of you have a Thomas Kincaid painting in your house somewhere? Okay, a few of you. You know who Thomas Kincaid is? Okay. Uh, this was one of his favorite verses to put on those very tranquil landscapes, right? The little house, little cottage nestled in the lush valley with the waterfall and the, right? And this, this was, uh, you guys are looking at me like I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, go home and look at your Thomas Kincaid. You'll probably see that verse there. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, then let's move on. Um, but, but what's the point? The point is it finally comes, right? Righteousness, fertile fields, quietness, confidence. Peaceful habitations, secured dwellings, undisturbed resting places, right? How blessed you will be, verse twenty and and, and that's isn't that what we long for i mean we, we we long for rest and security and confidence and righteousness and and and, and a a peace, and so Isaiah says, the king's coming. Judgment's coming first, so get ready for that. And then remember, there's this restoration, there's this quietness. And he gives us description after judgment, these, these wonderful things, quietness and security and righteousness, the things that we long for. Now I want you to look closely at verse 15. What will bring about the change? Now we haven't seen this yet before in Isaiah very much. What has to come? To bring about this change in humanity. The Spirit. Isn't that interesting? We, we don't hear... You know, the, the Holy Spirit is a, is a third act character in the unfolding drama of redemption, right? We don't see Him a whole lot in Act 1. We don't see... that. That's the Old Testament. We don't see Him a whole lot in Act 2. That's the Gospels where Jesus is there. The, the Holy Spirit is the main actor in the third scene of the Bible, which is what? It's the church, right? It starts at Pentecost. Those of you that have taken the Acts class with Dave and C.C. Hubbard, you guys just talked about this, right? The day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit. And that is the time of the Holy Spirit. That's the time we live in. And it's interesting that Isaiah says, if this is going to happen, if this is going to happen, the Spirit is going to have to be poured out in a global sense, uh, upon my people. Now, does the Holy Spirit show up in the Old Testament? Absolutely He does. And and we see Him given to certain people for certain duties, for certain things. We see Him promised, right? Both uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are going to promise the giving of the Spirit one day in the New Covenant. But Isaiah reminds us here, if we're going to see this world restored and people loving righteousness and loving God and at peace and security all that, then something has to happen in a global sense to humanity because we don't have the ability to manufacture this. God's Spirit is going to be given. And that's what's going to bring about this renovation. Okay? I get excited just just talking about this. I'm just up here babbling on and on. This is good stuff, isn't it? This is coming, guys. And this is why we don't lose heart now. And this is why this is why notice the danger. This is why we don't let good old-fashioned American ease and comfort rob us of the trust in God and the faith in him that ensures we will be a part of this restoration one day. Okay? All right. So that's the first part. Let's uh, flip the page over on your notes, and let's look at chapter thirty-four and thirty-five and and we'll quit here, okay? Now, notice the themes, right? Judgment is coming, God's going to keep a remnant, and the king's going to come, and there'll be a restoration, there'll be a, a final uh, transformation of people. So let's look now at the second part of this in verse 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains here and the world and all that springs from it. Here we go. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations. Now we need to stop there and remember the context because it's a big book and it's easy to get lost in the woods, right? Remember what you did last week? Each of you had assigned, were assigned a chapter, and that chapter was a judgment against a particular people, a particular nation, right? So he's singling people, people out. Edom and Assyria. And Israel, right? And, and, and so he's, he's judgment, judgment, judgment. And, he, and he's, he's calling people out. He's singling them out. And then right here, he sums it all up and says, in case you missed what I'm trying to say, judgment is coming on everyone, all the nations, not just Israel, not just the wicked Assyrians, but all the nations. So 34 is the summary. This is God's indignation against all the nations. Now, what does that word indignation mean? Or maybe your, your version in verse 2 has a, a different uh, way of saying it. What does chapter 34, verse 2 say in your Bible? Indignation? Angry. Angry. Enraged. Enraged. What else? Is that it? Okay. Um, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we read that and we go, I don't like that verse. I'm going to, right? But this is a theme of the prophets. God's judgment is serious, isn't it? God is righteously angry at what is wrong in the world. Now, what do, what do we learn here? Uh, what do we learn about this day of judgment what do, you, what do you see here? Let's, let's look at the text here. Verse 2, The Lord's indignation is against all the nations, His wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Now, now this, is, this gets a little PG-13 here, okay? So just stay with me. So their slain will be thrown out, their corpses will get off, give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. And all the host of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. What does that make you think of? We sing that sometimes, don't we? Say it. Sing it. Whatever you want. (laughs) What is it? It's It's well with my soul. When peace like a river, right? And you know the background of that psalm. And. And uh, Mr. Spafford, who wrote that hymn, knew his Bible, and so he incorporates these images. That's that's why you can't appreciate a genius Christian song where the author puts in these little images, these little references. If you don't know your Bible, you go, go, that was in the Bible? I didn't know that. And that's what he's doing here. He's putting an allusion to this final day of judgment, and in the hymn, he's focusing on the final coming of Christ for his own. And he talks about the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Well, there it is. That wasn't original. He borrowed that from Isaiah. Uh, Where are we here? Okay, verse 4. Yeah, the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts will wither away as the leaf withers from the vine. Verse 5. My sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of the kidneys of rams. I told you, it's PG-13. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will also fall with them, the young bulls with strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with blood and their dust becomes greasy with fat. Why? Now notice, on the front end, Verse 2, the Lord is in indignation against all the nations. And then he's going to come back to that. The book ends of the section, you see it. Verse 2, verse 8, the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. So on your notes there, it will be absolutely horrible, won't it? This is a horrible day of judgment. Uh, as God comes in judgment of the nations. And, and we see some of this played out in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, in particular times, but but he's graphic here. Now, now I, I, I kind of joked about it a moment ago, but why does God use PG-13 language here to get his point across? To yeah, to hold your attention, certainly. And I think it's done that. He wants to be real. He's not yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If we're yawning at the judgment of God... We've missed it, and, and I don't know what you think, but I think sometimes we we domesticate God to think that you know His judgment is um, a slap on the wrist. Yeah, right. You know, he, he's he's uh, he's Mr. Rogers, right? He never raises his voice, um, and we, we've we, we've got to have this 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 right view of God. What, what's Isaiah about? This is God, right? He he is dangerous in his judgment. He is awesome in his redemption. That's God. You don't mess with him in his judgment, and you bow before him and worship in his redemption, and that's who he is. Uh, our God is an awesome God, um, and it will be horrible. So, so, so Isaiah gives us graphic language and strong images because he doesn't want us to think that God's judgment is something that we just casually forget about. And you know, this isn't Isaiah's main point, but it it does apply in this way. This is why we evangelize, isn't it? I mean, what, what human being would want another human being to go through this without warning. And so we go and tell people, right? That's what Isaiah is commissioning his people to do, and it's what we need to do as well. Okay, look at this. What's the, what's the result of this? Verse 9 of God's judgment its streams will be turned to pitch its loose earth into brimstone its land will become burning pitch it will not be quenched night or day its smoke will go up forever from generation to generation it will be desolate none will pass over it forever and ever and then he go he's going to he's going to he's going to go to the zoo is what he's going to do okay he's going to go to the zoo because he's going to start throwing out all these animal names here and you go how do we get to the zoo because here's what he's saying Jerusalem, right? The temple, the wall, the city, the palace, this beautiful, beautiful place is going to be utterly destroyed, utterly demolished. And nat- yeah, nature, is, it's like it, it's going to be a natural animal preserve after that because everything's going to be gone. Verse 11, but pelican and hedgehog will possess it. There you go. Owl and raven and and uh, plumb line of emptiness. It's nobles. Verse 12, there is none. There is no one there, right? Remember the nobles, the kings, the the priests. Everybody's gone. And all its princes will be nothing. Thorns will come up in its fortified towers, nestles and thistles in its fortified cities. It will also be a haunt of jackals. Is that, where, where's Katie? Yeah. Is that, is that they still use that term a haunt of jackals today? Cause you know, sometimes they use weird words to describe packs of animals. I've never heard that before, have you? Okay, alright. So, so apparently back then they called them a haunt of jackals and, and, uh, nowadays we just say a pack of jackals or something like that. An abode of ostriches. Desert creatures will meet with wolves. The hairy goat, uh, Yes, the night monster will settle there. I don't know what that is. You know, some scary creatures that go bump in the night, I guess. And there they will find herself a resting place. The tree snake will make its nest and lay eggs. You get the picture? It's turned into the nature preserve. There's no temple. There's no nobles. There's no kings. There's no palace. There's no people. God's judgment has come and it's gone. And I, I that's even hard to picture, isn't it? C- can you picture that you wake up tomorrow morning and granberry is gone? I'm keep, that's even hard to even kind of right? Some of you've lived here a long time. No courthouse, no square, no power plant, no Comanche peak. It's been dev right? No houses, no farms, no community. Walmart's gone. The the plate, yeah, (laughs) you were fine until I said that, right? (laughs) Hey, I I remember the day when there was no Home Depot, right? You had to go all the way to, to, to South Fort Worth or Hewlin to get to the, anyway. Some of you remember that, don't you? That's hard to even picture, isn't it? And, and that's not just, you know, some little podunk town, Granberry. We love it because we live here. But, I mean, it's really just kind of a blip on the map. This is Jerusalem. This is Zion. This is, this is the temple that was supposed to be the reminder that God is with his people. And he's there. Remember the Shekinah glory and gone. And we go, as, as, as Gentile readers, we go, what is this even all about? God has come in his judgment. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Ruth. Um, this this reminds me a little bit of uh,
1: like some of the temples in the in the Indian jungle
0: mm-hmm. that, that get abandoned and just grown over with vines mm-hmm. and uh, Right. nature reclaimed. That's right. Says, Well, and that's the thing is, remember, remember what he's doing. Remember short lens, long lens. You know, sometimes he's saying, what's it going to be like, right? In the near term, what's it going to be like in the long term? And what we see here is probably what? What do you think? It's near term, isn't it? Right, because he's describing Jerusalem after God's judgment with who? Well, the Assyrians first, but he's talking about Zion, so he's specifically talking about Jerusalem, right? So it's the southern king, it's the Babylonians coming in, right? So you're right, he probably has that near-term lens in mind here. But what's what's it picturing? He's saying, this is what I'm going to do in the near term, and that's a warning of what? What's going to happen in the far term? Because he's saying it's desolate for generations mm-hmm. and Mhm. Generation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah well and that's what I'm saying he, he he blurs the line That's that's what I'm saying. he doesn't tell you, hey, so you have this imagery of this is what it's going to be like now, but it pictures what it's picturing this future judgment, and that's why it's hard sometimes to distinguish even what he's talking about because you have images of really both here um, but the, but the point is clear, right the point is clear: God's judgment is coming and uh and we should uh, be ready for it, okay now why is all this happening? In case we, we missed it, go look back at verse 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense. Why? What does it say? Verse 8. For Zion. Isn't that interesting? What does he mean? What do you think he means by that? God is doing this for the cause of Zion. What do you think? okay 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 with a goal toward the restoration and the new jerusalem that we've read about right the new zion that's coming you're right so that this is interesting because god is saying i'm going to destroy my temple i'm going to destroy my people i'm going to destroy my city i'm going to destroy my mountain and give great cause for Gentiles to mock the people of God. But I'm doing it for Zion. And we go. People think that Zion yeah. Was the, right. This, which God had right. The right. And that's true. And, and he's also saying that this remnant that I'm going to preserve, this restoration that I'm going to bring to this future day. That's why I'm doing all this, right? He's dis- this Remember, this is all a disciplinary measure that He's bringing on His people to to bring about a, a remnant and a restored creation one day. Um, so, so here, here's the takeaway: never, never forget that the discipline of the Lord is ultimately what it's for your good, isn't it? That sounds like Hebrews. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. I, 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 pulled the young people in my house and said, uh, uh, answer, multiple choice. Discipline is A, joyful, B, sorrowful. And they all agreed, sorrowful. Yeah, and probably yours do too. But yet, what, what does he say? Yet, for those who have been trained by it, afterward, what happens? It yields the peaceful food of righteousness. you see that? that? That's illustrated here in this chapter. That God is bringing discipline, but it's for his cause. It's for the cause of Zion in the redemption of people, in the restoration and the rebuilding of uh, his people, and even in the new Jerusalem one day. Okay, all right. So we've got to move on. Let's, let's land the plane here. Verse 35. And the wilderness... And the desert will be glad and the the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely. these are all references to like flowers and foliage and whatnot. It will blossom profusely. You ever had a ladies, you ever had a, a profuse blossom in your garden? Yes. Not not weeds, yeah, like the weeds do that every year, but no. Right? You see? Even the curse that keeps our garden from growing is going to change here, right? I'm serious. How, how do you know the day of the Lord has come in restoration? Because you have a beautiful garden. You think, no, that's silly. That's, not what it, that's exactly what he means. Why? Remember Genesis 3? Thorns and thistles and a ground that doesn't agree with you is one of the indications that the world is broken. What's one of the indications that it's restored? Beauty. Growth. Foliage. Right? And rejoice with rejoicing and the shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and and Sharon. Those are beautiful places even today. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. So we've got this this beautiful picture of joy and gladness comes when people see God and glory in Him and the the creation begins to be restored. And so what do we do? This beautiful day is coming, this restoration, the exaltation of God, the reversal of the curse. So what do we do? Verse 3, we encourage the exhausted. Is that an important ministry today? People are tired, people are weary, People are discouraged. You know, they go on their college campus looking for an education and they get a worldview attack, right? And you you see this in your own family. You see brokenness in your family. You see sickness. You see disease. You see pain. You see financial distress. You see broken relationships. And that exhausts and, and discourages God's people, doesn't it? And so Isaiah says, You go and you encourage those discouraged people that that's coming to an end one day. And your garden is going to flourish. And your God will be exalted. And all of this that we see now will be transformed. So hang in there. Be encouraged in that. Um, You know, I, I think you probably need to have Isaiah open with your favorite news app. You know, you read the news, ah, true, oh, there's hope, okay, ah, hope, right, and just, just keep that open there, because that's what this book is designed to help us to see. Don't be discouraged. God's, God's not asleep at the switch, he's not walked off the stage, he seems sometimes, right, he feels like he's forgotten, but oh no, he is right in control, doing exactly what his plan is uh, planned to be. So we encourage the exhausted. We strengthen the feeble. We say to those who are anxious of heart, take courage and fear not. Why? Because behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. You say, well, why should I get excited about God's coming vengeance and judgment? Watch this. But He will save you. Right? What, is, what does another prophet say? The Lord is wrathful. He is wrathful and judgment. He comes in wrath. He is like a thunderstorm coming, a whirlwind, a tornado. The storm is His way. And He is coming in judgment like your worst nightmare. But remember that the Lord is good, a stronghold in that day of trouble. And He, he knows those who take refuge in Him. So God's coming day of judgment and vengeance is not a threat if you're taking refuge in him. And this day when he writes every wrong and he puts to rest the brokenness of the world is good news for the redeemed, isn't it? Because we know he will restore all things and we will not be recipients of his judgment. We will be those who are blessed by his salvation. So, go, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He, the, uh, the recompense of God will come, but He will save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. The waters will break forth in the wilderness, the streams in Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, Here's the jackals again. It's resting place. Grass become reeds and rushes. A highway will be there. I love this. I love this. A roadway. There's going to be a a, a brand new interstate. And it's not called I 20. What's it called? Look at this. It is called the Highway of Holiness. Wow. I can't wait for that to be built. A new land, a new world, a new restoration. Where holiness and righteousness are its atmosphere. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. Fools will not wander on it. There's no lion there, no vicious beast. These will not be found, but who will walk there? Verse 9, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy on their heads, they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee. My goodness. Think about that restored creation for a minute. Think about that. What is that going to be like to live in a world like that? And he says, who's going to participate? We read about it, right? The redeemed, the ransomed. Notice those, those $100 theological words there in verse 9. The redeemed will walk there. The ransom will walk there. The righteous, the highway of holiness will walk there. And things will be restored. You say, well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the people coming back from Babylon to, the, to Jerusalem? Well, yeah. But he's got a bigger framework in mind, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's, he's talking about something way bigger than just the, the restoration of the people uh, under the reign of, of Cyrus the Persian, when they come back and they rebuild the wall with ne- Nehemiah and all that. We're talking about a restored creation, and the redeemed of the Lord participate. So so don't be discouraged, right? D- don't let the brokenness of this world weigh you down. Be encouraged that this day comes, and if you're in him, you're safe from that vengeance, aren't you? And, and this, this weariness of a broken world will be transformed into something beautiful. Uh, I, I can't wait to travel the highway, the holiness with you. And the redeemed. That will be a, a great day. Okay? So, section one is concluded. Judgment. Remnant. Coming King and Restoration. Okay, that has been Isaiah's message. Now, here's what's interesting. In the next section, the, the camera is going to pan to a time where King Hezekiah is ruling. Last time we saw a king, it was Ahaz on the throne. right? So he dies. Hezekiah is on the throne. And what Isaiah is going to do is he's going to tell us a story about how this very message that we've just read about is going to affect a real man, a real king in his day. And we're going to watch how this king reacts to the message that he hears. Okay? And that's going to help us with application in, in terms of what, the, what he does. Okay, So we'll put a comment in your notes and uh, we'll come back next time. Uh, Lord, thank you for the reminder that uh, your day of judgment is coming and your day of redemption and restoration with it. Uh, help us to encourage one another uh, all the more to trust you and to stand on your promises, and to prepare for this day, and to not be weighed down and exhausted and, and discouraged because so much in this world is wrong. Um, you're doing something about it. You're bringing this day about. And uh, so help us to encourage each other, and to take confidence in what we've read, and to hope in God and to trust Him, and to know that all things will be well one day. In Jesus' name, Amen.